Father, this evening we just come to you, Lord. We just want to thank you. We just want to praise you, Father. For one more day in the land of the living, one more day to serve you, one more day to listen to your voice, one more day to obey you, one more day to bless your holy name, one more day, Lord, to glorify you and to bring honor to your name, Lord. Thank you, thank you, thank you, Father. When this evening, when as we are here, your children have come from school, from college, from workplace, from home, but we all now sit at your feet, Lord. We put aside everything else. You said in your word, sufficient unto the day are the evils thereof. Do not worry about tomorrow. We put aside everything. We just want to learn of you, Lord. Teach us, Father. For in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We're looking at a very familiar portion for us. We, we, we looked at it many times. It's from Hebrews chapter 12. And, uh, yeah. Therefore we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and sin which so easily ensnares us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. All scripture is breathed by God, but all scripture from Genesis 1 to Revelation 22-21 does not have the same importance in our life. Some scriptures like this, you have to always keep it in front of you and keep meditating upon it over and over again. If in Hebrews 2, the writer of Hebrews is writing to a church at a point when there is persecution in one end, complacency in the other end, so people are drifting away because of complacency or people are falling under the weight of persecution. So he, this is a scripture which we need to keep on visiting over and over again so that we don't lose our focus in life. You see, in sporting events, in sporting events or in the events, the competitions in the world, you know always only one person or one team can win. All others have to return, not having achieved their goal. Though they could be some of the best in the world, like Winter Olympics just finished in South Korea. And those teams, I used to get very irritated when I opened the BBC portal because always they used to put there, you know, the teams at the top and the last would be always India 0, 0, 0, 0. I don't know why they had to put it at the bottom because they would show the top and the bottom and India always used to be at the bottom if you had watched all through the days of the competition, okay? Do you think the Indian athletes did not train? When we sent those athletes for the Winter Olympics, they were the best this country could produce. But they all came back with nothing. Okay? Understand that. That's the nature of the competition in this world. That's why Paul will say in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 24, Do you not know that those who run in a race all run? But one receives the price. Run in such a way that you may obtain it. 
even the best are considered losers if they don't get the prize in this world. The difference is in the Christian life, we all can be winners. That's what the writer of Hebrews is trying to tell us here. Okay? In the world, no. Only one wins. Only one wins. Only one gets the gold medal. Or if two get it, both finish together. The same, this thing. Okay? So they are both considered one, not two. But in the kingdom of God, God says, all his children, if they want, can be winners. But there are rules laid out how one can win. So the title for today's message is Give Up to Go Up. Okay? If you want to go up, you have to give up certain things. And you will see, if you re- even in this world or in the kingdom of God, if you really want to go up, there are many things you and I will have to give up. And it's true. In the kingdom of God and in this world, there are a lot of things which you and I will have to give up. And those who have not given up and those who are not in the race will not understand those who have joined the race. They will say, why did you give that up? I thought you always liked it. The question is, it was not a question of liking or disliking. You have given up certain things in life because you are going up. Okay? So, know this. There are a lot of things which you will have to give up if you want to rise either in the world or in the kingdom of God. You will have to say no to a lot of things. While everyone around you seems to be doing it. When they are all saying yes, you choose to say no. And the Bible calls it sacrifice. But nobody likes the term sacrifice because it's always connected with killing and burning. So nobody likes sacrifice. But all athletes have made incredible sacrifices to achieve their goal. Okay, so here you have the term race in Hebrews 12. And here, the other place, we are running a race. with a very definite purpose to win a prize. But let's look at it. Go back to Hebrews 12 and look at it. Therefore, we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses. I know you have heard it it so many times. But what does it mean? Okay. In, uh, In sports terms, it is called the home advantage. Old days in cricket, they will say it's very difficult to beat India in India. Because Indian crowds are not sporting. They are not sporting. Okay, They will only root for India. In other places you will see, like we see those four brothers who had come from New York and they are basically Jamaicans. But they were, when they were in my house, they were the cricket crazy. And they all they knew all the West Indies greats because they are all from the same vicinity. They would sit there till early morning watch India play South Africa. Because they were genuine sportsmen. They would root for any country that played well. We won't. But so what happens is, there is a home advantage if you're playing in India. Imagine India playing any other team in Calcutta. 100,000 madmen 
all around screaming only for india and screaming against the other team most teams are nervous when they play in india okay. indian teams are also nervous because they know what has happened in the past when we have lost okay they always say sometimes a crowd can change a match so everywhere in every country when it comes to those final matches if two teams are playing and one team is playing in their hometown they call it it's a home advantage why because you have this crowd which is for you okay. now imagine a different scenario okay different scenario just look at the first three five people okay you people are in the team so five it has to be basketball okay five can't have cricket five people are playing Let's put it cricket because I don't know basketball except for a few people like Michael Jordan and all. Imagine you five are playing in the Upal Stadium. Cricket, you are there. And look around in the crowd. You know who's sitting in the crowd? Cheering for you? Sachin, Ganguly, Rahul Ravid, Virat Kohli. Can you imagine how you will play? It's exactly what scripture is talking about. The cloud of witnesses who's egging us on are Abel, Enoch, Noah, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, David, Daniel, all the saints. What a cloud of witnesses. It's a reverse. It's not the crowd cheering the players, the great players. It's the great players who have gone before us who says we are rooting for you look at us you can do it you can do it you can do it not only are they cheering for us god says you can learn from them all of them their weaknesses their strengths you can learn from them that's what the writer says all those who are who is who in god's hall of fame they are there we are surrounded by incredible crowd of witnesses therefore god says you know everyone can win in god it is not like the competitions in the world it's not like that can you imagine a class when uh, like exams are going on that's why there are few students most are preparing for their exams but imagine when the results come out and the teacher takes the answer script and suddenly says everyone is first this time Does that happen? No. Everybody is waiting to see who is first. But imagine where Scripture says everyone is first. No, it's possible. God is saying it's not reserved for one person. It is reserved to all who finish the race. Reserved for all. Everyone can win the gold. Can win the crown. That's the difference between competing in the world. and what god has put us in you see if you look at sports entertainment all these industries they are littered with names of unknown men and women who gave their best but never made it to the team never made it to the team they gave their best they struggled from morning till night they gave their best but their best was not enough to make it to the team even now even today even tomorrow in india millions and millions of young men teenagers and older young men will 
carry their cricket kit and go to the grounds and practice and practice and practice and practice for days, weeks, years, hoping they can get into that level. They work hard. They slog hard. They practice hard. They sacrifice everything in life, hoping to get in there, but they never, never make it. Never make it. Why? Because in this world, it is not giving your best that matters. You have to be the best. It's not enough, what? To give your best. You have to be the best. Okay. So the Indian cricket team board has a pool from which they will select 11. All of them are not in the 11. Some people are always there because it doesn't matter which country you go to, what is the nature of the pitch, what is the nature of the opposition, they are always there because they are the best. So unless you are the best, it is not that you give your best. Unless you are the best, you cannot make it in the world to the top. Of course, there are other factors like crooked deals and underhand deals, and but let's leave it that aside. But in the kingdom of God, you need to realize it is not true. That's not the way it is. God wants you and me to give our best. We don't have to be the best. See, what a difference. A little grammar here changes, but an incredible difference in life. Your teacher may only say, okay, this one came first. Call out. We'll never see the ones who really slogged but didn't come first. There is no A for effort. That's not how it's in the kingdom of God. Because what I'm saying is, you see, many of you are students over here. Don't get discouraged because you don't get those marks. Because in this world, only marks matter. Not in God's kingdom. In God's kingdom, more than the marks, it is the effort that matters. How you go through it, that matters. He's watching it. He's looking at that. He wants you and me to give our best. Not to be the best. Because the minute we try to be the best, then we get into competition. Then we look at everybody as a rival. Not a fellow traveler on the same road to the same destination where there are many crowns. We look at each other as rivals. So you know what? We live a public life which is false. That's why Jesus always would talk about a private life. Pray in secret. Give in secret. Fast in secret. Do all this in secret. Why? You're not competing with anybody. You're not competing with anybody. You're just trying to be the best you can be for God. That's what the writer of Hebrews is trying to tell us. Your goal goal is not to become the best Christian in this church. No. Your goal is to be the best Christian that you can be. And each one of us is different. We only need to be the best we can be. You cannot compare. There's no comparison. God will not compare any two of his children. When we finish our race and stand before God, God will look at our entire circumstances, where we came from, what framed us, what we had, 
what we can, all that put together. That's what scripture says about Jesus in the book of Isaiah. When he judges, he will not judge by what he hears, so what he sees, he will judge with righteousness. Absolutely. So you can be absolutely sure. If you have given your best, his judgment that will be incredibly righteous. Incredibly righteous. You will receive your crown. So it is not being the best. It is becoming all that God wants you to be. But that will require sacrifice. That will require sacrifice. Don't ever think that does not require sacrifice. It will. You will have to give up if you want to go up. Okay, say, I will have to give up if you want to go up. If you want to go up. That's what scripture is talking about. Lay aside. Let us lay aside. Throw away. And now we will say throw away. Let us put away. Throw off. Lay aside. So the question is, what is that I have to give up to go up? What is that I have to give up? It may not be the same for everybody. Okay? May differ from person to person when it comes to the first thing. But read the first verse closely. Therefore we also, since we are surrounded by so, not so large, so great. We are surrounded by what? A great cloud of witnesses. No. Ministry sessions are purely for believers who, who know what they are in. It's not, it's not an evangelistic meeting. We have to choose when we lay aside. We are putting away something for something else. Believers have to often choose the great over the good. I'll explain it to you. Often in life, to move to the next level with God, you don't have to choose between good and evil. That's easy. That's easy. Everybody knows that is good, this is evil. That is good, this is evil. And we struggle with evil, but we know we have to choose good. Nobody has to tell. Because there's a voice inside telling, don't do that, don't do that, do this, don't do this. It's not about good and evil. Often the choice of finishing the race as God wants us to be is choosing between good and great. That's what Paul will say in 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 12. All things are lawful for me, meaning all things are good. But all things are not helpful. They are not helpful in me becoming what God wants me to be. It's not helpful. They are good. They are lawful. There's no law against it. They're no law against But they are not helpful. They are not helpful. He will say this again in 1 Corinthians 10 and verse 23. All things are lawful for me, but all, not all things are helpful. All things are lawful for me, not all things. Meaning there can be a lot of things in our life which are legal, lawful, which God doesn't disapprove. But it doesn't edify you. It doesn't build you up. It doesn't take you to the next level. So believers who consciously are in this process, in this race, have to learn to distinguish between what is good and what is great in God's sight. And they are really tough choices, painful choices sometimes. Sometimes we have to give up the good 
to go up to God's best. You know, Sunday Pastor Vijay was trying to teach us on that. See, good things can become a weight that can impede greatness. Now, please don't misunderstand when I use the term great. We are not trying to become great like Akbar the Great and all that. No, we are trying to because because anything that finishes its course as God has ordained is great because God is great. Because God is great. Okay? It's not got to do with a person. It is got to do with God's. All his plans are great. Because it's a great God. Okay? It's not trying to become somebody great. Look at what Pastor Vijay was trying to tell on Sunday. In Genesis 12, in, in, in today's light, Genesis 12, I will make you Oh, great nation. I will bless you and make your name great. The call of Abraham was to greatness. Just not an ordinary God who called him. Just not the gods of this world who called him. The God who called him was the great God. The only living, all-powerful God. He says, I will make you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great. But if you want to be great, Abraham... What do you have to do? God said to Abraham, get out of your country, from your family, from your father's house. You have to leave a lot of stuff which is good. Jerah is not a bad man. Your family is not a bad family. The unbelievers around here are not bad people. Some of them are better than us. But some of the good people, God will ask you to leave. If you don't leave, you will never become great. We will never fulfill God's purpose. Because our God is great. The call of God is great. The purpose of God is great. The call of Rebecca is great. It's not an ordinary call. There's only one man in God's eye through whom the nations will be blessed. It's a man called Isaac. The call of Rebecca is to be Isaac's bride. It's not an ordinary call. It's not to be just a good wife. Anybody can be a good wife. But God says only one woman can be a great wife because he's a great man. Therefore, when she's asked, will you go with this man? She says, I will. When? Tomorrow. Because the call is so great, she's willing to leave Laban, her father, her mother, her brothers, her entire town and never come back because the call of God is so great. So please don't misunderstand that when God calls, he's asking you to leave the bad the evil, the wicked. No, not with believers. Already, when we got saved, we already decided. That's I always have to leave that. We are conscious about that struggle. But the struggle is in leaving the good. You see, when uh, the U.S. President Trump started his uh, election, his campaign, and then he won, and he surrounded himself with a set of people who were loyal to him, loyalists. But if you know, in one year, almost all those who came with him to the White House, almost everybody has left, starting, I mean, today Gary Cohen, the chief economic advisor also left. You know why? You can start with a set of people, but you cannot finish with a set of people if you look at your slogan. What is your slogan? Make America great again. You want to make America great. It's not enough to surround yourself with good people. 
you will have to surround yourself with great people. Otherwise, your nation will not be great again. He picked this slogan without realizing the impact that slogan would have on a nation and the history of this world. Okay, so you will see turning after turning going on because nobody wants around the world, nobody, everybody wants America to be good. Nobody wants America to be great. When we have cyclone and tsunamis, please be good. But when you become great, our industries may shut down and they may open up there. We don't want you being great. We only want you to be good. When you cry, help, send us money. Send us food. Send us relief. But don't be great. You understand how terms can change history. So realize God also uses words. If you want to become a winner, it is not enough to have a good program, a good coach, a good diet, a good game plan. No, you will need the best plan, the best coach, the best diet and the best program. You realize at the top, good is not good enough. You will have to let go of even the good if you want to become great. Remember how Jesus said in Matthew 11 and verse 11, Assuredly I say to you, among those born of women, there has not risen one greater than John the Baptist, but who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than him. Potential. He says, all born of women, the greatest was John the Baptist. But he says, another generation will arise. I will look at it briefly later, but if you read Gospel according to John 14, Jesus will distinguish the difference between the anointed men of the Old Testament and the New Testament. When he's talking to his disciples, he says, the Holy Spirit is with you. The world cannot receive him because they do not know him. The Holy Spirit is with you and he will be in you. The entire Old Testament people, the Holy Spirit was with them. But with us, he is in us. He says, it is a dramatic shift. For those who are even the least in the kingdom of God, they have the spirit of God in them. In them. In them. And you have the potential to become greater than anybody in the kingdom of God. Okay. Jesus is not talking of what you call of Moral goodness, okay? He's not talking about that. Distinguish that. He's talking about greatness in the terms of those who will finish well. Finish well. Those who will finish well. So how does one become a great Christian? First thing God says, lay aside every weight. Some weights are good weights, but it stands in the way of becoming you, fulfilling God's promise. So, Uncle Abraham, or Father Abraham, has to let go of Daddy Terah, Nephew Lot, son Ishmael, and ultimately even tie his son Isaac on the altar because he, before he can become a great nation. All that he is letting go of are good. They are not bad. Terah is not bad. Ishmael is not bad. Lot is not bad. When God calls him good, righteous, Isaac definitely is not bad. But he was willing to let go of everything that was good in his life 
so that he could achieve the greatness to which God had called him. Second thing, if you go back to Hebrews 12, what does it say? Lay aside every weight. That's why they distinguish between weight and sin because these weights are good things and not bad things. And the sin which so easily ensnares us. And get rid of sin. What does it mean? God says you are in a race. If you are in a race, you have to play by the rules. You can't cheat. There are two names from Olympics will always, I mean from sports will always remember recent past. One is Marion Jones. And the other is Lance Armstrong. Marion Jones was the first lady, woman, to win five Olympic medals. First lady in Olympic history to get five medals in the same Olympics. Lance Armstrong was a legend, cycling legend. Seven times he won, which is the greatest cycling event, which is called the Tour de France. Seven times. Both were finally disqualified and stripped of their medals for doping. Lance Armstrong won year after year after year after year after finally he was caught. Once you're caught, it's all stripped off. They were the greatest in the field. But they lost it. They lost their medals. They were banned from that sport. In English we say from cheers to jeers. Cheer means to scoff, scorning, mock. From cheers of the crowd, now they were hiding their faces. Okay. Paul will tell this to Timothy. Timothy, you are in a race. If anyone competes in athletics, he is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. We are in a, we are in a race. So he says, one, beware of the good stopping you from the great. Second, be careful about sin. Very easily ensnares. God says, you have to play by the rules. There are rules God has set that determine our relationship with God, determine our relationship with one another, and determine our relationship with the world. There is a rule book for this race. And if we violate these rules, and continue violating these rules without making corrections, one day, all our accomplishments will be stripped away. That's what Paul is talking about after having preached. I don't want to be disqualified. In Matthew 5 verse 19, this is how Jesus says, Whoever therefore breaks one of the least of these commandments and teaches men so shall be called, not the great, the least in the kingdom of heaven. And whoever doesn't teaches them, he shall be called great. He says, that's the rule book. If you want to end up great in the kingdom of God, do not even neglect the least of God's rules. Least. They matter. They matter. Least. Some of these people, when they are caught for doping in sports, what in their blood test or urine test, it will be only like 0.005%, but that's enough, you're out. Banned substance. It's body enhancing, adrenaline enhancing, strength enhancing. It's unfair competition. Others are running in their strength. You have enhanced, so you're disqualified. 
Okay. Are you getting it? That's what scripture, I mean, you know, kids who are writing all the exams, suddenly this special squad comes in and checks and one fellow is found with, not tattoo, but sudden modern tattoo, all answer is over there. Suddenly he's picked up and he's gone. Why? It didn't matter what he wrote on his hand, because we used to catch kids like that. What he wrote on his hand, was there in the question paper or not? You're disqualified. Gone. A lot of kids. Lord of kids will try, it didn't come for the exam, it doesn't matter. You came with the intent to cheat. You came with the intent to cheat, it doesn't matter. The invigilator who came from outside is not going to look at his hand and tally with the question, but ha, it's not there, you can go. Are you getting it? You have to play by the rules. There are rules which God has. You know, one thing I'll tell you. You can never choose great unless you have chosen good first. That's the difference in God's kingdom. You can never in the world you can choose great undercutting good. But one day we'll be caught. Many have never been caught. We call all of them greats. We We never know. In cricketing there is no doping test. So we don't know anything about our great cricketers, how they came and played, what injections to took, what banned substance. We have no clue. We don't know. You can, if you have clout, if you have clout, like think, think about Sachin Tendulkar. If there was a test and that fellow or doctor who's doing C, he's got banned, he's going to make it public, the country will come down. You go. That's India. We want our national fame, not national shame. It doesn't work in the kingdom of God. You can never go think about greatness by skirting goodness. You have to always choose good first before you can choose greatness. And we saw one of the most powerful rules, we saw it. For a few times in the past few weeks, most powerful rules which God puts in his kingdom. In 1 Corinthians chapter 13 verses 1 to 3. Though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels. Incredible. Those who have baptized in the Holy Spirit, who have the gift of tongues and knows how to continuously pray in tongues, can do incredible things unlike others because they are not shaken because inside they are very strong. They can face troubles and trials and testings like others cannot. Why? Because they know how in their spirit, how to communicate with heaven and receive strength. That's what Paul will say in Corinthians 14. He who prays in tongues edifies. Edifies is a word from English from which get the edifice. Edification means a building, strong. He can. But scripture says, but you do not have love, have become an empty vessel. Although I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, though I have all faith. In the second one, everything that every preacher, pastor, believer is longing for. Prophecy, gifts, power ministry, knowledge, faith. Everything in the kingdom of God is achieved through this. But scripture says, I could even remove mountains. But I do not have love. I am nothing. On that day, all your medals will be stripped off. Nothing. What did you do? God says nothing. Though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor. 
Though I give my body to be sacrificial giving and disciplined in your body. Absolutely. But you would have no love. God says, it profits you nothing. Profits you nothing. Profits you nothing. So this is one of the, this is the toughest rule in the rule book. That's why Paul, Jesus, before he sends the first man out in mission, asks him a question. Peter, do you love me? Peter, do you know how to preach? Do you learn how to cast out demons? Do you love me? If you don't love me, don't even go. Pointless. You may be very successful in the ministry, but disqualified in heaven. That's why we said, deal with sin. Admit it, forsake it, forget it, and move on to greatness. So many champions, visible champions in Christendom, will be stripped of their honor on that day. Simply because they really never loved people. Never loved people. They are in ministry. But they have no capacity to love people. It's very strange. Pastor Vijay and I, we talk every day. One of the things is that if we don't love our sheep, we should quit. What's the point in being pastors without loving your sheep? There are a lot of pastors who are superstars. They are like a speck far away. They have congregations whom they do not know, who do not, they do not care. They don't love. They don't love. No. But they are popular. They are big names. But judgment is not here. Judgment is on that day. The race is decided not here. The race, how we finish that race is decided there. That's why God says, love God with all your heart. That's my worship. Love the family of God. That's my fellowship. That's my kinship. And love the lost in the world. That is our burden. All three. We need to have our worship. We need to have fellowship. We need to have a burden for the lost. So God says, lay aside. Lay aside. Every weight. Every sin easily entangles. Lay aside. To lay aside these two, we need help. See, when we grow older, there are just a few of us who are older here. When we grow older, when we reach middle age and older, you look back at life. And lots of time, me and my wife, like parrots, will sit in the bed at night and say, if only. <laughs> if only. Just go to the beginning of the Bible and start reading page by page. If only. Adam and Eve hadn't eaten from that tree. If only Adam and Eve had admitted they ate from that tree. If only Cain had listened to God saying, if you do right, will you also not be accepted and just done it? Right? If only after that incredible 600 years and that six months and Noah had not planted a vineyard, an orange orchard would have been changed history. Nobody ever got drunk on orange. If only. Why did he choose grapes? Why couldn't they had? 
If only Abraham had left Terah when God told him. If only he had not gone to Egypt. If only he had not listened to Sarah's advice. If only he hadn't taken Lot along. See, if only. That's why God says you've got this whole cloud of witnesses. You look into their lives and you say, you know what? He already chose if only I am not going that way. That's what great cricketers do. Great cricketers are great cricketers that when they go out on a silly shot, they go back and they watch that replay over and over and over and over and over. Then they get the best bowler in their team and says, you bowl that shot, I want to practice that one. Because next time that fellow gives, I will not get out, I will hit it for a four. That's a great cricketer. Others are not like that. They finish the game, they go straight to the bar. That is Kambli. Great ones will look at that mistake and he say, you know what? I need to learn. I need to learn. There's a cloud of witnesses. That's why Hebrews 10 verse 24 and 25 will say, let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as is as is the manner of some, but exhorting one another so much more as you see the day. That day is approaching. You don't have all the time in the world to finish the race. One day God says, time up. Time up, you know, examination all. Five more minutes. I have said this before. My students used to be so funny. Finally, when you pull the paper, they will leave and lie. They're hoping that will bring some sympathy past us. The fault is not mine. I could have finished it, but the teacher snatched the page of paper. It won't work with God. God says, I've given you all enough time. So God says, consider one another in order to stir up love and good works. Because we'll be judged on this and we'll be judged on this. Stir up, not works first. Stir up what? Love first. Meaning what is that? When you exhort each other, you don't tell Peter, Peter, you know you did a great job. It's not what you say. Peter, you know what? You're not very loving the way you did it. Because you need the priority in God's kingdom. It's different. Whatever you do, it has to be done because you love. Not that you do an excellent work with a grumpy face. That's why we have the Sunday school song. There are no grumpy faces in heaven. In the kingdom of God. There are no grumpy faces. So here, you know what? We have to spur each other. What does it mean? We need people who will speak to us. One of the amazing things about this, if only is, others see in us, but we don't see. Others see our blind spots. We never see our blind spots. But we don't want anybody to be honest with us. Otherwise, we'll go and ask and that person will say, if only you talked a little less, you'd be so great. Huh? Instead, we'll get offended. What did you say? We need people who will speak those if only into our lives. Genuine friends. That's what scripture says, the wounds of a righteous man. And we don't want, we want flatterers in life. We'll always say how great thou art. But we don't need those people because it doesn't make any difference if God doesn't say, well done my good and faithful servant. We not need people who will say, 
if only it made a little correction over here, you will be good. No? You will be. That's why you look at these great sports we are using, illustrations, great sportsmen you will see about, if in, I think it Nadal or Federer or somebody who said about, it was some guy at a restaurant who told him, you know, you should have played this shot and he took that correction. Think about it, if you're Roger Federer, you go to, to have dinner and the fellow who is serving you says, sir, you know what, that shot you played, this is the way you should have played. And you look at, who are you? Who am I? He said, good, I take that correction. Good. I will practice it next time. See, because he is so open to know that this waiter probably could be able to see his blind spot, which he didn't see. Able to see? That's what God is talking about. We need good, honest people who lovingly point out the blind spots in our life, yet will love us unconditionally. To lay aside every weight, every sin, we need faithful people who will speak into our lives. Some of those people who are truly great in God's kingdom struggled in reaching their greatness is because they didn't have true friends. One of those really great men of God was David. You see, after Jonathan, he really never had a good friend. He never had a real good friend. I don't know what's wrong with prophet Samuel, but I think Samuel never got over Saul. You will know Samuel really loved King Saul. He really loved Saul. And it broke his heart that God told him, I have overlooked Saul and you are going to anoint the next. But because he was an incredibly obedient man, that he he loved God with all his heart and he loved Saul only as himself. He was willing to obey God and overlook Saul. But he grieved. Scripture says he grieved over Saul all the days of his life. I think that was a mental block that he didn't mentor this young guy. So he never had a mentor. Never had a mentor. And he had never had a close friend after Jonathan. No. So he made a lot of goof ups in his life. So you will see finally the person who really speaks into his life comes later is a Nathan. It's a Nathan. And Nathan It's a voice that will speak into David after that. You are that man. And he says, I am that man. I saw my blind spot. And he's willing to change. We need people like Nathan. We need friends like Nathan. Who, what I call is uh, the prophetic voice. We need a prophetic voice in our life. The prophetic voice is different from the priestly voice. The prophetic voice will always show our blind spots. The priestly voice will direct us to our greatness. So you will see, even though Abiathar goes on to the other side with Adonijah, Nathan never leaves David. He never departs from David. He remains loyal to David all the days of his life. So you know what? When Adonijah is crowning himself king, The priest has gone. Nathan comes and tells, Lord, do you know what's happened? This is the guy who is trying to be king. This is the guy who should be king. So he says, call Zadok. Call Zadok. That's the order should be in our life. Lord, I want the prophetic blessing in my life before I receive the priestly blessing. 
Zadok is the one who will anoint Solomon as king. But before Solomon can be anointed as king, you need a Nathan who will point great from good. What is happening today is everybody is after that priestly blessing. Anoint me, anoint me. God says you are not distinguishing between what is good and bad. What is good and great. Distinguish it. Then the priestly blessing will make you endure. So we need people in our lives. And our ears should be opened. First say, Lord, make me a person who will hear the prophetic voice when you speak through anybody. I will hear you are speaking to me and I'm willing to take correction because your aim for me is to be great in your kingdom, not to be the least, to be great. Let's go back to verse 1 again. So lay aside, wait, and since for this we all need help, therefore we gather we fellow, not just gather for teaching, because through that God will speak. We fellowship, get close knit with one another in the kingdom of God, so we are able to spur one another to love and to good works. And then, twelve. Therefore, we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and sin which so easily ensnares us. Let us run. I know we have. Read through this so many times, preached through this so many times, but let's stop there. You know something about to run? To run you have to enter the race. God's race is not like sports. In sports you will have one set of players and the rest are onlookers. But with God, we all get to play. See, why I'm trying to tell you is it's possible to be a good athlete and yet never compete. Imagine you are on your treadmill every day, 30 minutes. You use weights, you work out, your diet, you're very careful about what you eat, you exercise, you are absolutely content with fitness, but you never compete in anything. You're fit, but you never compete in anything. So many Christians are content being just Christians. They are content their sins are forgiven. They are content with attending church. They are content with sitting on the sidelines while others play. But they are never in the race. Never in the race. They look at their fitness and mistake they are competing. You getting the picture? You look at your fitness. Yes, I was on the treadmill for 30 minutes. I walked out hard. I did my weights. I did everything. I checked my calories. I checked my food. This much, this much, this much, everything. I'm watching these many bottles of water. I've done it all. And I'm fit. But your fitness doesn't mean anything if you're not competing. It's good for you. It's not good for God's kingdom. It's not going to get you any crown or any medal, not even a ribbon. You need to compete. You have to enter the race. Not the dragon, but enter the race. Have to enter the race. Let us run. Very few are running in the kingdom of God. I'm talking in numbers. Very few are really running this race. You have to enter. And there's another problem. Look, even here, when I'm preaching, I have a clock over there. So I know 8.10. I got 20 minutes more. And look, if you're playing basketball, you know, 45, 45 minutes, you know. You know, your time. 
you know, football, you know, everybody knows. In any sport you are in, you know. You know, if you don't know, the coach will send somebody, say, take a tea break, and you will say, only five hours left, go slow. Don't lose a wicket. We'll start all over again tomorrow. Everybody is playing their race because they know their time. We don't know. Today could be your last day. Have you entered the race? We don't know. No man knows the hour. No man knows the hour. It's not enough to be fit. The question is, are we competing in this race? We're not competing with one another. Have we entered that race? That's what Jesus says. Scripture says through John that many Christians will be ashamed when they suddenly reach the judge's presence and realized, oh my gosh. I thought I was in to get a crown and the judge says, you are not even in the race. You are never in the race. You are in. What does scripture says? Many will come into the kingdom of God as escaping through the fire. You just got it. You are never in the race. So with the time that is left, God says, enter the race. Enter. Run. Let us run. Don't let fear stop you. Lot of people are afraid. Lot of people in the world don't enter because they are afraid. Oh no, I can't run like him. I can't run like her. I will run. I will make a fool of myself. But in the kingdom of God, there is no fear of losing. Christians don't be. That's why he's telling Joshua. Joshua, what is this Joshua? Fear not. I've told you. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. Why? I put you in this race. I am with you. I'll never leave you, forsake you. Every step, the sole of your footprints, you're going to win. You're going to win. Get in. Don't be afraid. Fear can block people from entering the race. No one in history has ever won a race where they haven't run. Let us imagine five people here. One, two, three, four, five. Five people entered the race. Disqualified, 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 disqualified. Does the committee give the sixth one certificate because these five were qualified? No. Nobody gets because she did not even enter. There have been others who got the gold because The gold and the silver were disqualified, so the bronze fellow got the gold. But because he entered. So don't be afraid. Yes, there is fear. The first time 25 years ago when my pastor called me and said, James, I'm going to Singapore. Next Sunday you are preaching. That's when I realized scripture was true. I was fearfully made. Never preached in my life. Never. And suddenly I was preaching to a congregation much bigger than that. All senior men of God in this city. Heading OM man, heading YWAM man, heading uh, World with the Mission. They were all in that church then. Senior people, he didn't ask any one of them to preach. He said, James, you are preaching. And he left. 
He was not even there beside me to give me moral support. He just left. Fear should not stop you. Now, Rani will know. Next Sunday, Samir has to preach in a church in Kerala. The pastor asked, so he's been texting me, WhatsApp me, texting me, WhatsApp me, pastor, this is what, what to preach. So you realize you're fearfully made. Okay. But we are not afraid. No, th- because this is not performance. Any other place you can speak, classroom you can speak, lecture hall you can speak, public speak, all that is different. This is different. This is different. Okay. Do not be afraid. Again, look. Let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Second thing about that. What is that? Run your race, not someone else's. Don't run somebody else's race. So in running, you have sprinting, you have long distance, you have hurdles. And you will see that the ones who run are different. The sprinter and the long distance, they won't do the same. So God says, your race is different, your race is different, your race is different, everybody's race is different. There is a specific kind of race God has tailored for each one of us. God has a plan and a purpose, which is absolutely unique to each one of us. This is what brings meaning to life. So many Christians just go through the motions of Christianity without understanding the very purpose which you were redeemed because they have not found what is their race. What is their race? More people in Christendom fail because of lack of purpose than lack of talent. You look at the people sitting over here, all are talented. But all of you, do you have a purpose? Have you understood your divine purpose? You see this... uh, Famous novel by Lewis Carroll called Alice in the Wonderland. So Alice is talking to the cat. Alice is walked and she doesn't know which way to go. So she asked the cat, would you tell me which way I ought to go? The cat said, it depends a good deal where you want to go. Alice says, I don't care where. The cat says, then it doesn't matter which way you go. So many people are like Alice in Wonderland. They don't know where they are going, so it doesn't matter to them where they go. Every day, it's just another day. There is no purpose. There is no excitement. That's not what God told Joshua. Joshua, he said, keep a distance between you and the ark. Keep your eyes on the ark. Keep your eyes on the priests that are carrying it. Because where you are going, you don't know where you have gone. Nobody has gone that way before. It's going to be incredibly exciting. Sanctify yourself. Your God is doing amazing things before you. And for years, every day was exciting for Israel. Because they had purpose. But for purpose, they had to keep their eyes fixed on the one who had called them. Sad thing is that we drift through life without purpose. Don't go through life without purpose. Because that purpose, when you discover it, you will realize it's bigger than yourself. Let's look at the kingdom of God like a map. For me, the map of Bhutan comes easier than India. Okay, It's like this. Kingdom of God as a map. And there is one little chunk. 
That's you. That's yours. That's your purpose. If you have discovered your purpose, it's bigger than you. It's bigger than anything in life for you. That's what David is saying. David came. Goliath comes out. Everybody is trembling. And he says, who is this uncircumcised man? That you dare defy the armies of the living God? What will the king do to the one who is willing to fight him? His brothers got mad. You proud fellow. You left that sheep and came over here. He turns and says, is not there a cause? Don't you realize what's happening? This is not a battle. This is bigger than a battle. This is about the destiny of this nation. It's bigger than you and me. It's not the cause. Do we see life as bigger than us? Bigger than a job? Bigger than getting married? Bigger than buying a car? Bigger than having a family, a house? Having a pension and retiring and dying one side? Life is bigger than that. Because God is giving you and me a chunk of the kingdom and saying, that's your purpose. It's much bigger than you and me. It's huge. That is greatness. That's greatness. That's why he says, run with endurance. Run with endurance. Simple word, endurance for children sitting over is, please run without quitting. Don't quit. Don't quit. Because the temptation to quit in this race is huge. It's huge. Because the rewards are not now. It's not tangible in your companies and all, in your, like, you know, Strangely today I asked my wife for where's my watch? Where my watch? She had put it in away, I found it. You know, when I was in class five, we had a board exam. Board exam, class five. Okay. And my parents were teachers. Dad was principal, mom was teacher. Because of that, I was never got the first in any subject. Because they said people people will say because they corrected the answer paper. They will say that because it's your son, you are giving. So my dad told me and my mother told me, Don't worry, board exam is there, you can prove. You're better. Okay, and she promised me something. She had a gold chain watch. I know HMT Sona. She said, "If you get top in all the subjects except the national language Zongkha, this is yours." Board exam came, results came. It was mine. I got it. Many days I walked like this. <laughs> Hand didn't come down because I was the only boy with a watch in the town. In the world, results are tangible. Results are given, target is given, benefits are given, bonus is given. You can aim for it. In the kingdom, it's on the other side. You may not see anything. You may see loss and opposition and hatred and envy and jealousy. And you have to work through it, the work of God in love. It's an incredible battle. It's not an easy battle. It's an incredible battle. What is that we have to endure? Endure! What is that we have to endure? Verse 3 will tell us how Jesus, about Jesus. For consider him who endured what? Such hostility from sinners against himself. We have to endure the hostility of sinners. It's not easy. Suddenly, one year, two years, five years, ten years, things have changed in India. It's not. This is the age of social media. Nothing is hidden anymore. Every day you get messages. One church, another church burned, 
Another church, others have entered, put their flag. Today a new one came. The police have entered into a big church and taken the offering box away. And if you're thinking, ah, I can always go to the northeast and settle, it is Christian majority, they are gone. Suddenly you realize you're living in fearsome times in this world and you're called to run your race without quitting, without compromising. You see, times are no longer the same. How do you, how do you reconcile to the fact, oh Lord, the times are so difficult. Why? Lord, God says, you know what, did I make any accident? If I put you in this time, that's because I chose you for this time. You cannot fail if you have with me. We have the saying in English, tough times do not last, but tough people do. It's not, you have to look at the goodness of God. When people say God is good all the time, that means every hardship you are going through has come from the hands of a good God to prepare you for hard times. Knowing that he has prepared you, I have called you, I have chosen you for a time like this. It's not an accident. So many people will become romantic and say, I wish I was born 50 years earlier. You would have never run your race because you are not meant for that age. You are meant for this age. Run without quitting because you have to endure hostility. Hostility. We will endure hostility. Indians, the Christians in India are the softest target. Very soft target. If you look at, we are less than 2% of the population. But most of India has been educated by us, has been treated by us, the orphans have been fed by us, the old age homes have been run by us, a small percentage taking care of so much but hostility because we preach Christ. And if you beat them, they don't do anything. If you burn their churches, they stand there and watch. They don't do anything because that's their God. They think our God is weak. They don't realize our God is great. But unless you know the truth and you are strong in the truth, you will not endure hostility. Enduring hostility means not gritting your teeth and standing there, continue to serve in love. That is it. Otherwise you have not endured. That's why you have to run by the rule book. Run by a rule book. That's how Jesus, he endured such, such hostility. He endured such hostility. But, he's our model. He says, don't get weary and discouraged in your souls. The only way possible is coming together as a set of common people. With a common purpose, individual races, common purpose, the gospel, the kingdom of God, and we encourage others, each other, and say, you know what, everything is on the altar, and I'm not running this race alone. I need to look at my blind thoughts, I'm running a race on the other side, eyes haven't seen, no ears prepared for those whom God loves. One day this will all end, the kingdom of God will be established on earth, the knowledge of God will cover the earth like the waters, we know it all. We are one set of people alone who have read the end of the book. End of the book. Okay. The pastor, I forgot his name, who preached Priest in Times Square Church last Sunday. I love him. He's so funny. Huh? Tim Delay. You have to listen to his message. Maybe next um, third Sunday, we, Saturday, we will listen. It was so funny. He says one line. 
when he was reading about this record of the kings about Josiah, he says, struck his mind. They found the book of the Lord in the house of the Lord. He said, it's stuck. Where do you expect the book of the Lord was was lost in the house of the Lord? They found the book of the law that was lost in the house of the law. It is like finding, he said, it is like finding your lunch that was lost in the kitchen. Think. It's like finding your car which is lost in the garage. Think. Sounds ridiculous, but that's what is happening. The book of the law has been lost in the house of the law. It's not been lost in the world. It has not been lost in the world. Because the world never had it. It has been lost in the house of the Lord. Unless we find it rediscovered, the book of the law, in the house of the Lord. That is what we are called. What are we called? The house of the Lord. Unless we rediscover that this is the book. And I have seen the end, O oh Lord. I have seen the beginning, O oh Lord. And you have seen my end. I am going to let this book and your spirit define my life. And I am in this race. And I am running this race. And I am going to endure. Because he endured. I am going to consider him. After looking at all the cloud of witnesses, some great champion, some who lost, some who won, in whichever way you want to look at it, Hebrews 11, whole list. But finally, I am going to consider him. Who endured such hostility. Such hostility. Because unlike anybody else, not even Paul, no other saint, this is one man who should never have faced hostility. He never sinned. And if he forever blessed, never sinned, never harmed a fly, only blessed. But he faced such hostility. Of sinners against himself. And God says, look at him. Learn from him. Don't get weary. Don't get discouraged in your souls. Don't get weary. Don't get discouraged. Put it all on the altar. Everything has to find its purpose in God. Children, young children sitting over here. Even your studies, your career, your future. Everything. If it is not found. In God, you will be just another good person. The world is full of good people. Heaven is... The overcomers are all great people. They are not just good. They are all great people. So they understood the greatness of the living God. They were all average, simple, ordinary people who got hold of God's purpose and ended up as great. Average. Average. Very average. Most of the people in the Old Testament, you put it today, they won't pass one of your class tests. Not even Peter or Paul. They won't pass. But they were divinely equipped because they found their purpose. Found their purpose. So tonight as we are here, I'm closing here now, as we are here, think on that two verses. Meditate upon that two verses. Lay aside Lay aside. Wait. Anderson. Enter the race. Run the race. Don't live another Christian life. There are plenty here. Plenty. Enter the race.
enter the race and finish the race. The crown is only for those who finish the race. There is nothing in heaven for those who entered the race and did not finish. Everything is in heaven is reserved for those who finish the race. Enter the race, run the race, finish the race, and we shall meet there that day and see who are the champions. Nobody knows who are they. That's why scripture says in Romans, the whole of creation groans for the sons of God to be revealed because nobody knows who is going to rule this world for a thousand years. Who are the champions? Nobody. Not even the angels have any clue. Only God knows. Because each one is, I cannot even compare uh, Hepzibah's race with Dipika's because they are not running the same race. It's different. So nobody can judge anybody's race. Only God can. Because each race is unique. What is common is put aside weight, put aside weight. But the weights are different, sins are different. So we are running a race. Man, shall we pray? Father, we just thank you for this evening, Lord. Thank you for bringing us safely. Thank you for speaking to us. We continue to pray, Father. We will have both the prophetic and the priestly voices speaking in our lives, O oh Lord. We need the prophetic voice so that we see our blind spots and we take correction. We need the priestly blessings, O oh Lord, so that we can reign in life, O oh Father. Because that's your purpose for your people, that we reign over every sin, over the flesh, over the world, over the devil. We reign, O oh Lord. For that we need both these voices in our life, O oh Father. I pray we continue to meditate upon your word, O oh Father, that we will be willing to give up, to go up, O oh Lord, every one of us here, Lord. Thank you, thank you, thank you, Lord. Thank you for each one who are here. I pray especially for the young ones, O oh Lord, who are having their exams. I pray you will continue to bless them as they go into their exam halls tomorrow, Lord. They will write with integrity, Lord, not taking help or helping others. And they will do their best, O oh Lord, and you will give them honor according to your plan and your purpose for them, Lord. Thank you, Father. Thank you. We praise you, we worship you, we glorify you, Lord. For in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.